Greetings and welcome to the System Mastery Tavern, where we beat a dead horse 1d6 damage at a time unless there's ale or wenches about. Today we seek adventure in the most famous of dungeons, AD&D 2nd Edition. It's the edition we grew up on, with all the magic missiles and multi-class versus dual-class rules and 90% sleep immunity for elves and everything. Be ye ready for adventure? Then let's delve in on today's System Mastery. Welcome back to System Mastery. I'm your host, Jeff, and with me, as always, is your host, John. John, hello. How are you this week? I'm so good. So glad to be your host. Everything's wonderful with hosting. Yeah, it's great to also be the host, right? Yeah, when you're hosting and then someone else is hosting and you're both hosts, it's the best. Yeah. The best feeling. No one here is a co-host. No, no. We're double host. We're we're both host. Yeah. Uh, although I believe I might be host A, and I think you're probably host B. You kind of you kind of just feel like a B, think, you know? Really? Because I feel like I'm way further down the alphabet. I think I might be host S. <laughs> Fine, you can be host S, but I want to be host X. <laughs> Am I secretly your brother? You'll never know. <laughs> host X. Oh, no. He's entered the race. <laughs> host X has started making interesting points about the game. <laughs> Uh, listen to our Speed Racer review. Yeah, that's all we want from you. So, uh, this week we are covering the most obscure game I think we've ever covered. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I managed to find a few copies in the local game store, I assume because someone just dropped a whole bunch off there because they couldn't sell them. I don't think they knew what they had. I mean, this is one of the most priceless, rare games in existence. Oh yeah, I don't even know how many of these got printed. I think this is the new Vanishing Point. Yeah, this is definitely Vanishing Point 2.0 for us. I think there were only like seven copies of this book ever made. Oh, yeah. So uh, so we've got something. It's called uh, Advanced Dungeons Ampersand Dragons. Oh. And it's it's second edition, so apparently they must have, I don't know, I guess the first edition was just a pamphlet they made. Yeah, it must have been, because this book is a slim volume at best. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, uh, with uh, with absolutely no prior knowledge of what uh, goes into this, what would you, you say? Advanced dun, yeah, dun, a- Advanced Advanced dun, Advanced Dungeons Duncans and uh, Drugans. Yeah, dro- Drogans. Uh, du- du- donkeys? Donkeys? Ad- donkeys? Wait a minute. Is this an episode of Donkey Talk? Gonna ride that donkey donkey down to the honky tonky. It's gonna get funky funky. Welcome to another exciting episode of Donkey Talk, the podcast where we get together to talk about donkeys and nothing but donkeys. John, donkey fan number two, how are you today? So good, and boy howdy, do we have an episode for you this week. We have, in our hands, a guide to donkeys and dragons. Ooh, donkeys and dragons. Oh, both of them. Now, normally, you'd keep those separate. I know myself on my donkey farm, I like to keep my dragons in one area, my donkeys in another. They don't play well. Yeah, that, that is true. You end up with those uh, donkey-dragon hybrids if you, do, if you don't. Yeah, those donkins. Yeah, donkins. Donkins, are in, they're very stubborn. Oh, yeah. Powerful work animal. Can, uh, can breathe half of a fire. Yeah, and then, you know, you get that <laughs> Richard Donkins 
And then you you, you mean uh, the famous internet uh, tweet commentator Dick Donkins? Yeah, Dick Donkins, famed New York Times man about town, <laughs> celebrated atheist and believer in elev- evolution, Dick Donkins. Yeah, that's who we're talking. Yeah, okay, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, you don't want to mix your donkeys and your dragons, or else you're gonna get one of them. Thanks so much for listening to Donkey Talk. Have a great week. Gonna ride that donkey, donkey down to the honky tonky. It's gonna get funky, funky. Gonna ride that donkey, donkey down to the honky tonky. Actually, I'm just glad we got that dumb bit out of the way early because we have a. Would we really have a lot to talk about here with? Okay, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, AD and D Second Edition, i.e., the one everyone grew up playing. Oh, yeah. Well, this is, I mean, it's the first D&D that I played. It's the first D&D that you played. That is true. Actually, I briefly played Basic and Boy Scouts, but this is primarily the first D&D I played. Yeah. So, yeah, this is this is kind of the very first D&D for us, even though it's called Second Edition. Yeah, I, I thought for a while that that meant that Advanced Dungeons and Dragons was the second edition of the game, and there was only one before it. Oh, so I was regular thinking, Dungeons like, and Dragons? Yeah, there was original Dungeons and Dragons, and then AD&D was the second edition of Dungeons & Dragons. Hey, that's sort of true. It's just not true the way you think it is. No, it isn't, which is weird. And even then, it's still not true, because you got you got to think about all the games that came before that are still part of that whole Dungeons & Dragons legacy. This is really like the fifth D&D game that we're reviewing right now. Yeah, but, you know, it's got second ed on there. Yeah, and we're doing them in the order of which we are available, or, or like, aware like, I know we probably skipped over Unearthed Arcana or the Rules Cyclopedia or something along those lines. But yeah, but that's not a player's handbook. I, I think some of them are. I don't know. Anyway, moving on. This is AD&D 2nd Edition. You know this game. This is the one that took 1st Edition and eliminated the Half-Orc. Got oh. rid of that there, uh, or turned the Bard into a regular character class. Yep, and got rid of the Psionic. And the Assassin, I think, is also kicked out of there. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so basically got rid of the stuff that, pe- that people could use to play as, like, evil guys. Yeah, and what they did was they went down to four main types of characters and then split those into the uh, subclasses that you could be. That's correct. So the four main types are your standard, your very bog standard, warrior, rogue, uh wizard and uh what do they call the cleric it's like the the priest or something but yeah, it's really priest. just but but it's just the cleric in that block no it's cleric and druid oh you're right thank you for reminding me of the druid yep the okay. druid exists and we will get to him because he is some shenanigans that is absolutely right yeah uh and then again they eliminated the half orc leaving us with the traditional race block that uh, everyone is familiar with of human elf dwarf gnome halfling half elf Half dwarf. Half dwarf. Dwarf elf. Elfling. (laughs) Oh, the elflings. (laughs) Half gnome. (laughs) Oh, the dwarm. (laughs) The dwarm. (laughs) The donkey. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. All right, so uh, you know a lot about D&D, but let's go over the real basics here of what this is. It has the same six stats you're used to in every OGL game ever. So you got your strength, your constitution, your dexterity, your intelligence, your wisdom, your charisma, your comeliness... Uh, let's see. It's got your Verve, Moxie, uh, Get Up and Go. <laughs> Amazing that they had those split into different categories. Yeah, you'd think that those three would be very similar. All four of those fit into a single subcategory just called Zazz. <laughs> <laughs> oh, which is odd because then that's uh, the main stat for if you want to be a serial killer that cuts on themselves. <laughs> no, that's Jazz. 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 
<laughs> How do you pronounce that? That's a good thing to do. I always say Zaz. Zaz, because it's, yeah. it's, it's kept in a written medium for the most part. Although I do know that I think he shows up in one of the three Yeah, Christopher he's Nolan being Batmans. defended by Scarecrow in the Batman movie from Nolan, and it's Mr. Zaz. Oh, he's being defended by Scarecrow? Oh, is he... Uh... When he's still doing the uh, I'm a psychiatrist thing, and oh, he's okay. like, oh, he, he's criminally insane, he can't go to jail. Okay, all right. I was going to say, because about the third one of those movies, Scarecrow's like some kind of evil judge. <laughs> some kind of evil judge. No, really, that's what Because he, he's in all three of them. Yep. And then the third one, he's on top of a giant judge bench doing weird nonsense for like 15 seconds. And you get the impression they cut his scene down quite a bit. No, nah, I get the impression that Killian Murphy showed up on set randomly and they were like, ooh, 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 we got a thing for you. <laughs> How many times do you think he's gotten turned down from other movies for that? Do you think he showed up at the set of Superman versus Batman? And he's like, come on, man, let me in. Hey, hey, I'm a, I'm a Scarecrow. You need me to Scarecrow around a little in there? Huh? 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 And they're on. like, no, this movie is garbage enough without you. <laughs> oh, come on. He wasn't that bad in those movies. <laughs> no, that's true. He was probably, I, I, I mean, of the two villains from the first movie, he was definitely the better one. Yeah, I'd say he's my favorite part of the first Batman movie. Yeah. He's amusing, uh, and because he doesn't get in a lot of fights, you don't have to watch the terrible fight choreography in that film to uh, to enjoy him. Yeah, he's one of the Batman villains that's not like, boy, howdy, do I want to try and punch Batman? Yeah, I want to get into a tussle with that there Batman. Nah, he's like, oh, I don't want to fuck with Batman. Batman's going to beat the crap out of me. You know what? If they hadn't introduced the Joker in the second one, he would be the best villain from the Batman or the uh, Nolan Batverse. Yeah. Because ultimately, Two-Face did not land the way you would hope. No. And then Bane is the less said about him, the better. He's he's clearly doing what they wanted the Joker to do in that movie. Mm, mm, it doesn't make any sense that he's Bane. Seriously, uh, <laughs> take control of your city, Gotham. We said we were going to be on a diet together. <laughs> You've come over to my side of the apartment. I put down the tape. <laughs> uh, oh, Bane. Yeah. So there you go. Scarecrow, probably the best. Anyway, what the hell were we talking about? Oh, uh, we were talking about those stats. Now, in AD&D 2nd Edition, your stats matter way more than they used to. Yeah. Uh, just because at this point, not only if you have a 16 in whatever your main stat is, you're getting 10% more XP. Oh, I, f I always forget that they used to do that. God, that that's such a worst. That's such a fuck you to someone who didn't roll very well. Oh, yeah. Especially if you're like... I got a 15, and that was the best thing I rolled. Well, fuck me then, I guess. Yeah. Meanwhile, your friend's like, I'm not only a way better fighter than you, but I'm going to level faster. Oh, yeah. And the worst part is you have the classes in there like uh, Paladin and Ranger and all of these ones that were just almost impossible to roll up because you had to get these insane minimums. Yes. But then, as well... Instead of just having like, oh, you need a 16 in strength or a 16 in whatever, you had to have like a 16 in all of them. Yes. So it'd be like, oh, did you want 10% extra XP as a ranger? Well, I hope you rolled a 16 strength and a 16 dex and a 16 wisdom. Yeah. The the weird thing about that is, I don't know when they were going in, did they, because if you look at the, uh, the list of how to roll characters in this book, it's got six different methods that you're supposed to use to roll your characters up. And this is how we get the grog of the modern day. Because method one is roll 3d6 right down the line. And the standard, like, you don't get to assign stats, you just roll 3d6, whatever you rolled goes into strength, and then next goes into dex, and so on. Right, the Rifts model, as it is now known, because that's actually the rule in Palladium games. But in this one, that's method one, mm -hmm. 
And then it has a little caveat before it goes to the other methods of, now, if your DM allows you, you can roll these other methods if you're a baby who needs a good character and can't stand to have weaknesses like a real role player. It's, it's infuriating to me because that they would start with that kind of a tone because the odds of using method one and generating a bard or a paladin is like way less than 1%. It's like oh, yeah. it's like a point zero 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 three six percent chance that you'll successfully roll a paladin, let alone a paladin that gets any kind of bonuses to anything. And that's why, if anyone managed to roll the minimums for any of the non-standard characters, you immediately were like, "Well, that's what I'm playing." Even if I had a character idea completely different in mind, I rolled it. So holy shit, I'm playing it. What? I just don't want to let them go for this because this is something that we made incredible light of in, uh, like, not that we were good at it, but rather just that we really ripped into them for it in Cinnabar, where there were all these things that had like a one in ten thousand chance of occurring. Oh yeah, and had they dedicate whole like pages of material to it. They'd be like, okay, you have to roll a d ten thousand. If you roll a one, your character has god powers. See the next three pages for what god powers do. Well, you know what? Being a bard using method one is almost exactly as likely as one in 10,000. Oh, yeah. No, the uh, I think it's the ranger that's the least likely because it has... It has four requirements. Four stats, and they're all 14s. Yeah, there's two there's two 13s and two 14s. Yeah. Where the paladin and the bard both have a 15, or well, actually... The, the, the 17, a 17 15, charisma. and a 12. Yeah, the paladin and bard, I believe, are the least likely just because they require numbers that are far, more, far less likely on dice and in very specific locations. Yeah, you had to get a 17 charisma for a paladin yeah so they dedicate a couple pages of this book and a special magic weapon and a whole bunch of nonsense going forward into the future a whole brown book of paladins for a class that your chance of playing is astronomical yeah and yet for some reason everyone always seemed to be able to play paladins everyone's got a story where they played as a paladin at least once there's a whole fucking sub uh, section of the internet of groggy weirdos dedicated to come up coming up with dumb scenarios by which paladins fall yeah which means that everyone is either cat or they're just cosmically lucky, or everyone is ignoring this rule. Well, they do have, of course, the other methods, which mm -hmm. even then you're still not likely because it's stuff like roll 3d6, but now you can assign the numbers mm -hmm. and then, uh, you know, roll 4d6, drop lowest, or roll 2d6 plus 3 or whatever the hell. Roll 6d6, or no, it's a oh, no, 3d6. 3d6 twice and pick the better for each yeah. stat. My favorite is the one where you, where you make a grid. You roll, uh, you roll 3d6 down the line uh, six times, and then you can pick uh, vertical or horizontal or diagonal blocks of any of those dice. I don't think that's necessarily in this one. I've no. never seen that from second edition. It might have been in skills and powers or something. Yeah. There's also the stat array one, where yeah. you get the bonus point, where you just get points and you put them out. Which? Not uh, in here? Not in there. All right. Like, it was all rolling. Yeah. And, and it's so, all just it's all just dumb rolling. There is at least at the end the if there's something you really want to play, you can ask your DM if you can raise those stats to the minimum. And so it's like, then why the fuck are you even doing this? I know it. It's so weird when they do it. it People always complain about these old editions and their and their verisimilitude and discuss how how real it was the one time they rolled the chance to play a bard or whatever. But it's such a weird gatekeeping mechanic. Oh yeah. Oh well. Uh, the, the other thing about that is the tone. The, if you ask your DM, he may allow you to play a class that you didn't roll. Which is all throughout the book. Oh, yeah. My favorite one is in the... Uh, here's the other thing about this book. that We were already talking about these extra set of uh, dice rolling mechanics being optional. One of the things I had truly forgotten about second, D, second edition D&D is just exactly how much of the shit I remember from it is optional. 
oh yeah, there's all of these little blue sidebars which are like, this is an optional rule, this is an optional rule, this is an optional rule, this is a tournament rule. Yeah, tournament rule, weird. Uh, the non-weapon proficiencies are the one I'm thinking of in particular, where everyone remembers these because they got turned into the skill system in 3rd edition, yeah. where you, you have a, a couple of skills for each one of the classes. You can take things like, I can use ropes, or I'm good at appraising. I'm an armorer. I'm an armorer. There's two versions of it. There's, there's secondary skills which is where you have a thing that you were brought up doing. Like, I'm a, I am was a fisherman before I was an adventurer. Or there's very specific uh, non-weapon proficiency skills, which are things like, I can cook. Uh, yeah. So it's a difference between sort of a career that doesn't have any like mechanical written-down benefits, but you're supposed to work out with your DM, or a series of skills that do have mechanical benefits that you just write down and pick. The whole thing is fully optional with a sidebar that says, uh, hey, uh, let your ask your DM if you can use this system, and it's okay if some players use this system and some players don't. If it unbalances the game, it's the DM's funeral. <laughs> yeah, which is like almost verbatim. And the I think the thing that I noticed a lot in this, again, one of those things that with the optional rules and all that, that I hadn't really remembered when I think back on my AD and D times, mm -hmm. is. The weird split in XP between everything? Oh, yeah. I mean, we talked about that back in the first edition D&D. &D. But, yeah, this book's got a very strong split of XP in terms of who will level up faster. But it's not even, like, in the old ones you'd have, okay, it takes, you know, 1,000 and then 2,000 and then 4,000. And it would just sort of progress that way. Mm -hmm. This one has this weird back and forth where it's like, oh, up till fourth level, it's way easier to level as a like thief and then when you hit sixth level all of a sudden you'll hit sixth as a cleric before you will as a warrior and then it's just the numbers on there are so weird like yeah specifically i was looking at uh the priest and the mage sections right and a, and a priest requires what is it 15 or 1800 to get to second level where a mage requires about 2000 yeah so yeah. they they end up leveling slower to start and then once you hit the mid levels the mage gets ahead of them by about a level or so and then when you get to the high levels then the priest takes back over and is cheaper yes it's just this weird back and forth between a lot of things it, it, it's not like it's explained there's no section that's like hey these xp tables are varying for the following reasons no it's not like oh well you see an early level mage is more powerful than a priest but when you get to the mid levels the priest really comes into its own and so we really wanted it to make it so that it would be less powerful there, but of course the high-end priest or mage spells are so good that we wanted to make it harder to get to those. And you're like, no, you didn't say anything. You just went, here's a table of what appears to be random numbers. Yes, it, it almost looks like it was done arbitrarily or based on what they thought would look pretty. It doesn't make any sense. No. The only thing it really reinforces is that, you know, you can level up as a rogue. Like, leveling up your first level as a rogue to get to second level is like 1,250 XP. You level as a rogue, or, sorry. A thief. A thief. Or, you know what? Rogue is right, because Bard uses the same table. Uh, oh. you, you level up as a rogue so fast at the start, and the only reason that that appears to be the case, and when I was a kid and I was playing this game, this is how I justified it to myself, is because, of course, you level fast as rogues. Rogues are terrible. Oh, yeah. They are awful in this book. I yeah. mean, just insanely bad. Yeah. Yeah, would you like your entire career to hinge on your 20% chance to pick pockets? The The problem with it is all of your powers are tied up in these percentages. And you look at it and you start out with just like, 
a five to at most I think it's like the climb walls is up to like fifty or something. Yeah, climb walls starts at fifty or some crazy a reasonable number, an, an amount that you're like, oh, I could m- probably do that. Mm-hmm. But then you look and one, you uh, if you have not a ridiculously high dex, and I think to get a bonus to any of these percentages, you have to hit like sixteen or higher. Yes, that's so true. So even if you're like, oh, I'm a fourteen dex rogue, I even rolled. Like, better than average. Nah, you don't get anything. You get shit. You, you, all you do get is no penalties. Yeah. Well, until you start looking at the other stuff, which definitely gives you penalties. Because if you are armored at all, and I mean at all. Yeah, leather armor, you're, you're taking a penalty. Oh, yeah. If you go to even just the, like, oh, I'm in, like, padded clothes, just the shit armor, mm-hmm. it's a penalty. And then if you go up to, like, studded leather, what they normally would be wearing, because that's the best protection they could get, Yes. then you're, like, minus... 30 on everything. It's mm-hmm. just awful. It's just terrible. And then there's a whole bunch of rules that are designed to keep you from being good at backstabbing. Well, yeah, because like, backstab was the one thing they got where you're like, oh, that's actually powerful because it's multiplicative. Mm-hmm. Instead of just, you know, roll the dice twice or, you know, add an extra D6 or two, it was whatever damage you do, double it. Yeah, it was really, really good. It would go up to times three and then times four. But, uh, it, but the thing is, the book's pretty strongly encouraging the DM to not let you do it very often, and if at are, all. There are all the monsters that are immune to backstabs. Yeah, and uh, and meanwhile, you've got this class that that uh, has oh, and then you can pick the races that you get to play as in it. And almost every race can be a rogue. In fact, I think every race in the book can be a rogue. But uh, humans get it, no penalties, no bonuses. Every other class race gets a few of both. I think most of them just get bonuses. Uh, there's a few penalties for some. Like, if you're a dwarven rogue... They're all bad at climbing, I think, is the the thing. Yeah, the... Of course, the halfling is the one you want to be because they're the ones that get uh, bonuses to basically everything. Yeah. Normally, be like, oh, if you're an elf, you get a bonus to pickpockets because of your light fingers, but that would be it. Mm Mm-hmm. Where a halfling gets a bunch of useful bonuses, including, I'm fairly sure, I'm not 100% on this, I believe that in the rogue or the thief section, they get a bonus to climbing... And then when you get over to the section on climbing in the book, they get a penalty. Ah. <laughs> they get like minus 15 or minus 25 or something like that because they are a halfling. And then at the start of the book, they get a bonus to it instead. Yeah, it's it's weird. I don't know. Whatever. Um, and, and climbing is the only one that's got its own sub tables and all this other junk. There's like two pages on climbing. It's like, is there a rope? Plus 40%. Are there handholds? Your base cl- chance to climb is 55%. Is it wet? Minus 20%. So there's a whole section there that kind of makes climbing make sense and also presents it as a reasonable chance to accomplish things. Yeah, climbing was the only one in there that when you went to roll the dice, most of the time you could be reasonably assured that you would do it. Right. Where he's hiding shadows, for example, is like a guaranteed failure. Yeah, it like starts at 5%. Yeah. Now, granted, it the book is written with a kind of, you know, linear progression where your character gets really good at hiding as the levels get higher and higher. But so, only if you want them to, because what you get is points when you level up mm-hmm. to put into your various things, and each point is a percentage. Yes. But you can only put up to like 5% per level in any given thing, but it means you could get to max level and just be like, I have no idea how to pick a lock at all. I never figured that out. But, you know, that's that's actually one of the things I remember doing when I used to play as Thieves as a kid, is I would just be like, all right, I'm going to pick one or two of these. Well, obviously, because you're going to get, like, ten points per level, and you're going to go, I will pick two things and get 5%, because otherwise I'm shit at this. Yes. And, you know, I've heard people say that the super low starting chances for rogues to accomplish anything is to give them a sense of scale and progression as they sort of, you know, they, they get higher level. They're like, all right, 
Now I'm level 15. I actually have an 85% chance to hide in shadows. I'm legitimately good at hiding in shadows. There's a couple of major concerns with that. First of all, most D&D games just don't last that long. No. And the problem with that is everyone else is scaling with all of their other stuff as well. So, of course, your spellcasters, your priests, and your mages are getting new spells, higher level spells, more spells, all that. This is really the first time you saw this problem as a problem, is when you were looking like, all right, my level 12 rogue can finally hide at a consistent rate. I'm going to backstab so much. And then the, pre- the the wizard's like, hey, you know, I learned to cast invisibility, like, years ago. <laughs> yeah, you've, you've just now gotten to the point where you're at about a 50-50 shot of hiding in shadows, and I just use a level 2 spell. Yeah, that was an early problem. The, the, the thief class in this book just feels painful. It's worse at fighting than priests. And the, even then, the warrior, which normally everyone dumps on the fighter in D&D for 3rd edition on... Because they were just like, oh, well, a fighter doesn't do anything, and the rogue can do all these things. They've got skills. No, the warrior in this has the best feeling of progression. Because yes. you're the only person that your Thacko, which, oh my god, Thacko, uh, goes down every level. Mm-hmm. And you get your, uh, you can hit things way more than you normally would, because you go from like, uh, once every round to uh, three times every two rounds right. and so and on. Only fighters of, of all the classes in this game, including paladins and rangers, get access to weapon specialization. So they really do have a sense of a, a unique thing that only they can do. And their saves, because there is the very famous save table in this. Yes. Uh, their save versus saves, rods and spells and polymorph. Yeah, their saves go up more often. So you start with not very good saves, but then nobody starts with good saves. But then you go up is like, oh, level three, you hit your next level of saves, and then level five, and then level eight, and then it just keeps going. Whereas other people are like, okay, you'll have crap saves until level five, and then you'll have crap saves until level ten, and they yeah. just only go up a few times. Notably, the most interesting thing about the the thief in that ca- that uh, saving throw table is that they are the worst out of all the classes in the game at saving against like fireballs and breath weapons and stuff. Yeah, there's a category for breath weapon. Yeah, and at max level, so everyone once they hit the end of their chart, basically everybody has like, oh, I've got a four if I'm a warrior to save against breath weapon, and even the wizard's like, yeah, I've got like a seven. The rogue has an eleven. Mm-hmm. To save against it. And that's if he's, like, level 21. Yes. Yeah. Rogues, for some reason, are terrible at saving against breath weapons, which in 3rd edition is one of the things that they are the very best at. Yeah, that was one of their things they could do. Yeah, evasion. They got they picked up the ability to sort of dodge and sneak away from combat, which really leaves you with the impression that up until right about this point, this was kind of the last watermark for when thieves were thieves and not rogues. Like, they weren't... Like, by 3rd edition, the idea that rogues were sneaky fighters had sort of crept into the consciousness of people they were like all right rogues are the fighters that use rapiers and daggers and they spend time hiding and they get backstab bonuses but they're really they're real shifty and dodgy in this book no they're they're pickpockets and professional lock picks oh yeah they are straight up just thieves that happen to be going along with you on an adventure and if they are it's because they're going to find locks and traps yeah that's what they're there for they're not there to fight in a cool in, in a uh, sneaky jumpy way no that was still the benefit or the uh, the purview of the fighter at this point in the game yeah, I mean, they have overall the worst saves. 
Yeah, and my favorite thing that they're the worst at, because it's something, again, it's, it feels like something that thieves should be good at, the optional non-weapon proficiency blocks, yeah. they, they break them down in a couple of ways. First of all, all the non-weapon proficiencies are divided up into either general or they go into one of the four categories that apply to the various types of character classes. Yeah. So things like, uh, you know, set snares is the sort of thing that is listed under uh, wizard for some reason. The reason it's listed under wizard is because rangers get access to the fighter and wizard and general blocks of non-weapon proficiencies. Uh. So they had to put set snares somewhere that, uh. that uh, rangers would get access to it. So wizards, whatever. Uh, so it's, it's split up that way. And the rogue ones are ones that would make sense to you. They're things like uh, uh, use musical instrument because bard's one of them. Uh, or appraise because they spend a lot of time identifying gems. But moving on from that part, which does make sense, you also have a little table that tells you the number of non-weapon proficiency classes that each one of the classes gets. So, for example, a wizard gets four non-weapon proficiencies and gets new a new one every three levels. A cleric does the exact same thing. A fighter gets three non-weapon proficiencies instead of four and gets a new one every three levels. A rogue gets only three non-weapon proficiencies and gets a new one every four levels. Yep, so rogues worse. Rogues get worse skills than everyone else. Rogues should be the best, especially if you count the fact that bards are in the same category. Oh, yeah. No, the... the I mean, I know we've been harping on this for a while, but holy crap, thieves are so bad at everything. Every yeah. conceivable thing you could do, they are bad at it. It's, it's just ludicrous and i remember being a kid and defending it being like no it makes sense they level up so fast and if you ever get the chance to backstab it's gonna be awesome oh yeah but well then, everyone has that thing with like oh we were fighting some dude and my rogue came out and i rolled max damage on that and then i multiplied it times four and i just murdered him you're like great what did you do for the rest of the game oh i sat with my thumb up my ass it was amazing yeah so, anyway, why don't we talk about the other character classes a bit? We've already talked about fighters and rogues a little bit. This is probably the last edition where warrior feels like something that really matters. Well, it, the thing, the whole name level thing still exists in this book, where at level 9, your, your warrior feels like he's just kind of takes an upgrade, and he's like, I'm not a fighter anymore, I'm a fucking lord. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, not only do you get way better at hitting things, mm -hmm. so the amount that you are better at that is a lot. Yeah. Like, way more than in other editions of this game, whether past or future, the warrior in 2nd Ed is just awesome at beating the crap out of stuff. Yes, that is that is very true. And their saves are really good. Yes, yeah, they're, they're resilient, they're tough, they they're, they can wear the heavy armor. They have the most hit points, mm -hmm. they, they oh, actually and felt like they had a a strong niche in this. Yeah, and fighters get to roll their hit points. There's a thing in this book where hit point progression is is a lot worse than you remember. Oh, yeah. Well, once you hit, like, level 10 with everyone, yeah. you stop rolling and you just get like two. plus three. The, the big difference is that, that fighters also still get to keep getting their con modifier in hit points every time they level up. So they, they get more heaps. They, what, are you telling me that's not true? No. No one gets it. Oh, I'm sad now. It's garbage. Okay, well, whatever. Anyway, uh, so fighters do feel legit. And rangers and paladins both have a lot of interesting stuff that makes them feel legit as well. They get their animal companions, their war horses. The funny thing to me, and I remember this being funny to me as a kid as well, is that half, fully half of the paladin class is taking up, taken up with explaining to you what will happen if your character ever gets the rarest magic item in the game. Yeah. It's, it's weird to me because both paladin and ranger, which are, as we've discussed, astronomically difficult to get, mm -hmm. are 
also not that much better than just being a straight-up warrior, honestly. Well, you don't get weapon specialization, and you don't get the cool castle shit when you get to a certain level. Yeah, you don't get your stuff. But, I mean, look at a paladin. You're like, oh, what do you get? Oh, well, you get access to, like, priest spells. You know when you get that? Level 10. Yeah. You don't have anything until level you 10. You have lay on hands. You get your war horse at level 5. Although, you know, traditionally people nowadays think of a war horse as a rad magic horse of some kind. But in this book, it's a horse. Yeah, it was a war horse. The war horse type that you could buy. Yeah. And if you did better than war horse, it was because your DM was letting you get away with it or because you were using a paladin kit from the brown book. Yeah. Um, and Ranger doesn't even get like, oh, here's my animal companion. It's you can go out and attempt to make an animal be friendly to you. Yes. They do eventually get a full-on animal companion, but it's way late in the game. It's one of the most fun things to roll in the book. When you're like, oh, sweet, yeah, I got a fucking shark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but in this one, it's like, hey, what do, you, what do you get as being a ranger? Well, you're slightly better at tracking, and if you're talking to a domestic animal, they're nice to you. And you get druidy spells. Start and you get uh, sort of druidish spells, but again, it's not until late. Yeah, and you also get uh, a bonus against a certain type of monster. You pick a, a favored enemy type. And, and uh, my favorite thing about that has always been that one of them is giant, and one of the monsters listed under giant is goblin. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why, because, I mean, the uh, the gnomes and the dwarves also get like, oh, you get bonuses when fighting against the... Uh, like the giant types. So this includes all the orcs and bugbears and goblins. And you're like, wait a minute. Wait, all those things are like human-sized at best. What's yeah, happening what, here? What? what are you so it's, it's just the way they always divided them up. I, I don't know. But yeah, Warrior does feel, especially once you get to the mid to high levels, Warrior feels a little better than the other classes in this book. Uh, and then, uh, so First Edition had the Illusionist as a secondary wizard spell set. Like you could play as an Illusionist. It was almost identical to playing a wizard, but you used a different list of spells. Well, the illusionist was just the specialist version of being illusion. Well, no, in in second edition, that is absolutely the case. In first edition, the illusion spell set takes up a whole thirty pages by oh, itself. Yeah. No, I'm saying in this one, yeah. it's just a thing you can do. Yes, they what they did was they took illusionist and they created the uh, the spell wheel, the famous wheel of spells with each one of the types. You know, your abjuration, conjuration, transmutation, necromancy, uh, divination, uh, evocation, uh, illusion. And I feel like there's one more. Uh, I don't know. Someone I don't know. Out this is good podcasting, though, doing yeah. a list. Enchantment, I think, is the last one. <laughs> so there you go. I got them all. Good job. You did it. Everyone's real proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. So they were like, all right, Illusionist is not its own class anymore. It's part of Specialist Wizard. So you can always take any one of these schools of magic and say, I'm a Specialist Wizard in this. And what you get for being a Specialist Wizard is you lose access to a few of the other schools. Well, you lose access to your opposite school entirely. And then usually some more schools as well. It's not just your opposite school, because things like, if you're, if you're like, I'm a transmuter, you're like, all right, you have to lose divination and necromancy. Uh, uh, yeah, the, well, no, the transmuter was terrible because I think you lost access to, like, enchantment, which was... Which sounds Terrible. bad. The one, the one that was the best was being a summoner because that meant you lost access to divination and who gave a shit. Yeah, but the reason to go transmuter anyway is because transmutation has the best list of spells in it. Ah, oh, nah, man. Abjuration. Abjuration is amazing. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you lose the, the... evocation, which is sad. No, it's not. All the good, all the good damage spells are in transmutation. I'm, I'm telling you, transmuter is what it's all about, baby. As long as you're, you're willing to abuse that polymorph cheese, you are good to go. <laughs> 
But what it gives you is an extra spell per level that you get to pick. Yes, which is magic in this book, because you don't really get to pick your spells otherwise. Well, unless you use the optional rule that the DM just lets you do whatever, which, again, basically everyone did. Yeah, my DM sure didn't. Anyway. Ah. The uh, the other thing is you get a bonus to casting it, so your difficulty for the save is higher on your special school. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you can you, memorize extra ones. Yeah, well, if... It's easier to memorize them because in this one, not only did you have to memorize spells from a like a scroll or a spell book that you found, but when you went up in a level, let's say I wanted to have a new spell. Okay, great. There's a percent chance I don't get it. Yeah, that was true in first edition as well. Remember there was a chance in first edition to learn none of the spells from any given level? Yeah, it was amazing. And so they kept it for this one for no reason. It was just a forward progression. That's all it was. This book is a lot less different from first edition than third is from second. Yeah, this one still has so much of the weird crap from the first edition AD&D where you're like, all right, you got a little bit better at it. It's not as insane. There are times times where I wish that we had done this whole thing where we do one of these editions every 25 episodes the other way. Huh. And we got went back down, because one of the things I was harping on endlessly in the first edition review was, what the hell is the deal? I, I wanted so many answers from second edition, and I went to first edition to find them. I wanted to know why multi-classing and dual-classing are separate things that exist, instead of it just being one rule. I wanted to know why level caps exist. And there's no answer. There's no answer in this book, there's no answer in first edition. They're just shit that Gygax thought was a good idea. Yeah, well, it's just ways to make it so that human is appealing. Yes. Because humans get to be multi-classed. No, and they get to be dual-classed. Dual-classed. Which is, again, fucking impossible. Like, you have to have ridiculously good stats to do it. You need a 15 in your original and a 17 in the class you're moving into of their primary ability. And if you're like, I want to move into Paladin, great, you need three 17s. Good job. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, the idea that you would do that is well, it, All it means crazy. is that they, they knew, making this book, that players didn't play by the rules. They knew full well that they were like, all right... People like to play paladins and rangers and stuff. We'll leave in all these rules that make it impossible because we know that no one follows these goddamn rules. We'll leave level caps in here because no one fucking looks at them. Who cares? I I feel like they must have thought that that was a thing that mattered because otherwise you take it out. Like, if you don't think that people are going to actually want to roll up whatever, because I think they were looking at it going like, oh, yeah, well, it's going to make players feel special if they manage to roll up a whatever and didn't do the number crunching to figure out how difficult that would be. I know, and it just seems like it's so easy to quickly do that number crunching and realize that, oh, look at dual classing. It's so appealing. If you get to uh, give up on your cool abilities for a long time and act like a piece of shit while the rest of your party tries to carry your ass for a while, and then when you finally get through all the shit you just did, you become a better character than them and you get to rub it in their noses. Your chances of doing this are astronomically low. Have fun, everybody. We designed a great thing. (laughs) Yeah, I remember the only reason my very first character in AD&D was a half-elf is because they were the only demi-humans that got to be a wizard and a cleric. That's right, yeah. They could be the cleric mage or the fighter cleric mage if they wanted to be. Yeah, so they were the only ones that got to be both of the spellcasters, and I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to cast every spell. Yeah. But what it meant was, I'm going to cast every level one spell forever. Yes, that's all I'll ever do, because I'm getting half XP in both of these things. Yeah, it was, it was terrible. But it, I didn't, because no one ever did that. They were like, whatever, you get your full XP, no one gives a shit. Everyone's dual classed in here. Everyone is doing multiple yeah. classes because we don't care. Like I said, I feel like I, I almost feel like the people who wrote second edition knew that more than half the rules that they wrote for the book were going to be thrown out for the sake of convenience. 
Like, oh, it takes three weeks of resting to learn a new spell. No, no one's no one's gonna fucking pay. That don't we're not doing that. Except for all of those people that did. Yeah. And I feel like the tone in this is what sets, as I said earlier, the groggy notions of what D&D are. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I think that's why I don't believe they were like, oh, don't worry, everyone will ignore it. They were like, no, these are the rules you have to follow. You need to earn your fun. No, second edition sets the tone for so much internet arguing so far in the future from when it was written. Oh, yeah. Like, this is where Chaotic Neutral first became a useless alignment for for dipshits. Because Chaotic Neutral before was, I mean, just bad, but it wasn't the... Oh, you'll jump off a bridge as soon as talk to a person, and who knows, maybe you'll just switch sides, or uh, you're a crazy madman. You'll make all your decisions based on the roll of a die. No one should trust you, but the party has to trust you. Have fun with it. Pick everyone's pockets. Kabee! Yeah. The, the, uh, the description of all the different alignments, when you get to the chaotic neutral niche, you're like, oh, there it is. There's where chaotic neutral went wrong. Yeah, it's this book. This is the book that first wrote Chaotic Neutral as an alignment that wasn't just like, hey, your character isn't really driven by the law chaos or good evil axes. He's driven by some other impulse. Well, no, he's driven by chaos. He's dri- he doesn't yeah, care oh, sorry, about yeah, being good or evil. He yeah. just wants to spread like the chaotic need for things yeah, instead of law. Yeah, he just and it doesn't need to be that your character is an insane maniac. No. It, before it would be like, oh yeah, he'll, you know, take care of himself and do whatever, but he's dedicated to like the gods of chaos and whatnot and yeah. follows that tenant. And this was the book where they were like, no, he's a fucking maniac and he just does whatever at any given moment. He's, he's a monkey cheese goofball. Yeah. Oh, it's like playing his Deadpool. Have fun. And people are like, Deadpool? I, I don't think that's accurate. Deadpool is just sort of a shitty assassin character. He's just yet another Liefeld piece of shit that no one likes. Yeah, just wait. Just <laughs> you wait, 90s people. <laughs> So, uh, so anyway, yeah, this is the book that broke Chaotic Neutral, and to a lesser extent, I'd say that this is the book that ruined True Neutral. Yeah, well. Because True Neutral existed in the previous book as being like, what's this person do? They're not driven in particular by, by the greatest forces of the universe. They're not really all that concerned about whether good or evil wins a battle, but really just more about their own self-interest and, the, and that of the people they care about. Yeah, um, which, it came back to that by the time you hit 4th Ed. True yeah. Neutral was just, you're a person that, you know, maybe you'll be nice, but... You're probably also not going to be a huge dick. Yeah, I don't know. But this is the famous book where it's like a true neutral person might switch sides in the middle of a fight because he feels like one side's winning too much. Yeah. Like, oh, if good is doing too good, then he'll go be evil for a while. And you're like, no, that's not how that works. No, that's, that, that would imply that he has a generic concept of how well the forces of good and evil are doing. Ugh. And a vested interest in keeping either one from being too great. Yeah, which... Gets into the Druid, which I said we were going to talk about. Right. Uh, the reason I'm so mad about True Neutral specifically is because I remember one of my old DMs when I was in high school telling me that he didn't like Druids in his campaign because True Neutral was too stupid. Yes. And you had to be neutral as a uh, Druid. Yeah. And the problem with Druid is not only are you just a weird cleric with a worse progression. Yeah. You get a couple goofy little nature powers. Great. Mm-hmm. But... You can't level up until yeah. you start beating up other druids. We talked about that in first edition, but it feels even stupider in second edition because it seems like they should have figured it out by then. Yeah, you get to the point where you're like, oh, literally everyone else, doesn't matter what you are, can get to like level 15, and then if you get your million XP, you get to level 16, great. Yeah, but a druid, meanwhile, is out wandering around looking for a grand druid so he can beat him up. Yeah, and it's not even like, 
oh, when you get to level 15, you get the title of Grand Druid. No, you have to go find one and beat the shit out of him and take his hat. Yeah, and then you're the Grand Druid. But now you got to watch your back all the time. Yeah, because some young upstart druid's going to be gutting for you. It's like, why? Why? Why are we doing this? This is based on what, like the the prehistoric druids that built Stonehenge and stuff, and we we had a general notion that they spent a lot of time beating each other up over who gets to be the important druid. Yeah, and that's why it's in here because what fic- what fictional book are they pulling that shit from? I have no idea. It's just oh yeah, we figure back in the day, druids had one antler hat. Yeah, and if you wanted it, boy, you had to fight for it. You had to fight for it. And as soon as you won that fight, you took off your dumb bird hat you'd been wearing, and you give it to him, and you make him give you his antler hat. <laughs> then he has to pick up a cherry with his ass and put it in a beer and drink it. <laughs> Druids, they're basically a fraternity. Uh, so yeah, there's that. The uh, <laughs> what's what else is it? Oh yes, the other weird thing from this that I never understood when playing originally. Mm-hmm. And I still don't understand why you would want to do it now. Is of course the uh, barehanded and wrestling rules. Oh my god, there's so many of them. The weird thing is going through it now. I'm like, okay, I can kind of understand it. I still don't know why you would ever do that. But all of the wrestling rules, the table that they have is a chart, one mm-hmm. to twenty. Yeah, and you roll things like rabbit punch. But the problem is, it's not. Oh, if you successfully hit, roll on this chart to see what you do. It's whatever you rolled to hit, if you successfully hit, whatever your roll was, that's what you did. So if I successfully hit you and I rolled a 15 to hit, then I do a 15 on the chart. The problem is the chart goes from 1 to 20. Yeah, and you can't roll that 1 and hit someone. No, and a lot of the really cool stuff is down below, like, the 10s. I remember that being a thing when that we house-ruled back when I was playing this in the day. We were like, yeah, that doesn't work that way. You roll 2d20, and the second d20 is the one that tells you what the move is. And then we were like, why did we house-rule that? Why would anyone ever wrestle? There's a magic item treadmill in this game. Yeah, and that's that was the other thing, is looking at it, I go, one, that is the easiest, most obvious fix to that table that I think everyone who wanted to do wrestling did. Yeah. You just went, oh, no, that's stupid. You roll a random result. Yeah. The other thing is, it does like a point of damage. Like, oh, you got someone in a headlock and it did one damage. If you keep it up for a second round, it did two damage. You're like, this is pointless. Why Why? are we doing this? I get the impression it's so that you can have like sport battles amongst other humans, you know? Well, yeah, it was the, oh, here's a non-lethal option. If you want to fight a dude, you're like, okay, but... You have to know that the entire point of this game is to go into a dungeon. No one's like, oh, yeah, me and this goblin are going to wrestle. I don't think that's ever been the case because I feel like, you know, right after the section on how fast you can move, which, by the way, in this book, humans and elves are straight up twice the speed of dwarves and gnomes and halflings. Just twice as fast. Also, the movement section is littered with those blue option bars. Yeah, oh, jogging and running, that's an option, which, whatever. But Tournament rules for movement. Okay, great. Tournament rules, God. Once you get past that section, there's a section on seeing things. And there are two things of note that I really want to talk about in the seeing things section from this book. The first one is the chart of what you can see at what ranges. Like at a thousand yards, you can see the following things. And is it mostly like at a thousand yards away, you can see a goddamn dragon? No, it is not, even though the game is called that. It's at a thousand yards away, you can make out certain banners and heraldic symbols if they are of appropriate size and boldness. From 500 yards, you can see the livery of a horse. Like what? But okay, but I didn't think this was castles and and other castles. The game. I, 
Like, why is this all about whether or not I can see if that guy's Phoenix is quarto posted instead of like, you know, there's a fucking monster coming. This is D&D. But, uh, but it's always been that way. The older D&D books really did harp in on that whole, oh, you might have to spend time fighting the Gauls. <laughs> uh, well, because I think they, coming out of the whole uh, war gaming tradition, yeah. they're like, oh, well, most of the time you were fighting other armies rather than just a monster. So they had all of these notions that, well, you have to know all about that crap just in case you do it. Yeah. And then it's got the uh, vision section also has my second thing I love in there. Uh, it's another blue box, another optional thing for DMs, and it's the one on InfraVision. And the InfraVision blue box says, based on what, it, what type of InfraVision is in the game, this power does one of two things. <laughs> and then it just moves on, because it's supposed to be in the, in the DMG that tells you whether the InfraVision is you can just see in the dark, or you can see in the dark, but it's that red heat night vision it's predator. It's predator vision. Predator vision, yeah. So, but, I mean, I know that, because I have the second edition DMG, but the book doesn't tell you. It just says, hey, there are two versions of InfraVision. Your DM will figure it out. Goodbye. Peace. <laughs> That's all. Yeah. And uh, the other thing, talking about blue bars, this is the story of a girl who cried a river and drowned the whole world. Man, did you run out of things to say? And just Is that, is that no, your standard? No, it was because I started saying this is, and then my brain filled in the rest. Okay, that's fair enough. Okay, this is the point where wizards start getting that shift over into insanity that they hit in third ed. Yeah. Where there's an entire bar, which is, hey, you know what's an optional rule? Using components or anything for your spell. Yeah. That's an optional rule. Like, you could just cast whatever spells you have and don't worry about it. Uh, or maybe you make them do a thing. And even under the optional rule where it's like, Maybe they have to use weird little goofy crap to cast their spell. Well, they sure do. If you look at the material components in this book... Oh, yeah, it's all just jokes it's and dumb jokes. crap. It's all jokes. I didn't notice when I was a kid. Now I'm looking at it, I'm like, this is all jokes. Yeah. But even then, it's like anything that isn't like a valuable item, like you'd have to spend actual gold pieces to get it, just assume they have it. Even in the optional rule that makes them do it, the optional rule's like, but also ignore this. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, granted, they, they straight up just did away with that in 3rd edition when they, they introduced the concept of the spell component pouch. Well, they did the spell component pouch, and then they started doing stuff like, uh, instead of the optional rule for all this, we're going to give you the uh, meta magic feats for, like, still spell and silent spell. Yeah. So but if you want to just ignore the entire point of it, you have to pay feats now. The spell component pouch for me is, like, item one where wizard went off the rails forever. Because it was like, all right, you have a pouch, and in it is any spell component that costs less than 5,000 gold forever, and you never need to think about it, and don't worry about it at the end. Yep. And then you look, go looking through the spell components, you're like, what's this? This spell requires a live chicken to cast. And so you're like, wait, does that mean that I literally have a pouch containing infinite live chickens? Yep, including infinite spiders. Yeah, infinite spiders, infinite pinches of buffalo dung. Yep, all of it. You've got a ton of glass rods in there. Yeah. As many as you need. Never worry about it. But live chickens in particular bothers me. <laughs> that means you have this pouch on you that is just a portal to spider and chicken dimension, and you never hurt from... Does that mean that your character never goes hungry? Maybe. In third edition, you're just like, whatever. Uh, what yeah, the cleric's like, it's okay, guys. I'll cast create food. And the wizard's like, why would you even do that? That gives you like a block of tofu. Here, have a chicken. I got a chicken. You want in another fact, chicken? you get a chicken. And you get a chicken. Every, you get a chicken. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> gets chickens. Except the rogue. The rogue gets spiders. <laughs> Eat them, rogue. Eat a bowl of spiders. You have this is, to. This is second edition, rogue. Eat a bowl of spiders. You're awful. Get out. <laughs> I don't want to eat a bowl of spiders. Do you want to be in this adventure? Then eat the spiders. 
<laughs> this chicken sure is good, by the way. <laughs> BT Dubs, delicious. How's your spiders? <laughs> uh, Wrigley. <laughs> Wrigley and poisonous. Well, you should be fucking lucky I didn't pull venomous spiders out of my bag. I can pull a snake out of here if you want. <laughs> Venomous spiders would have been worse. If they're just poisonous, then, well, actually, that means you shouldn't eat them. Oh, yeah, no. Venomous would be better. Yeah. (laughs) You're lucky they're venomous spiders and not poisonous. That reminds me of the story of the venomous dart frog, which is poorly named because, despite the title, it contains no darts. (laughs) Good joke. (laughs) So maybe we should talk about some of the spells that actually are in this book. Yeah. Now, Uh, this is uh, also... I've. I always forget about things from this edition, even though I played the shit out of it back in the day. Oh, yeah. Was that uh, priest spells only went to 7th level, and wizard spells went up to ninth. Yeah, that's true. And so you end up with certain priest spells that they get a li- what feels like a little earlier, but really it's at about the same levels. Yeah, and the... I mean, you look at the spell lists, though, and there are just some real losers and real winners at certain levels. Oh, yeah. Like when you get to, to whatever level it is where you can finally cast Talk to Plants. Oh, finally. <laughs> but, or I can be like, get Charm a Plant at level five or something. I'm like, come on. Yeah, that's like one level past when you can polymorph. Yeah. And, and you're like, ah, oh, That was the big thing for me was the levels in this are... You get those power skews so much earlier. Oh, yeah, yeah, you really do. Like, you get invisibility at level two spells. Yeah, so third level, your wizard first starts casting invisibility. It's really, at third level is officially when the the uh, thief becomes the most useless thing. Because you're like, all right, a, a properly prepared wizard or a wizard with spare time can do everything a, a, a thief can do starting now. They do more damage, they can turn invisible, so they're way better sneaks, and second level is also the spell level at which you get knock, which just lets them open up whatever. Yeah. You're just like, hey, man, uh, I hit third level and leave now. We're all set with you. Well, you can climb walls. I got spider climb. What else you got? You got anything? Do you oh, have- hold on. I hit third level spells now. Now I can fly. I don't even care. Yeah. That was. I mean, people are going to point out that, yeah, a wizard can do that once a day, but you know how many times you encounter a locked thing that matters a day when you're playing a fucking level of third, uh, third level D&D? Not often. And if you do, you're like, okay, fine, sure, whatever. Uh, a, we can knock this down with the fighter. He'll just knock the door down, or we mm-hmm. destroy the door. If it's a locked door, or if it's a locked chest, that's when you use knock. Yeah, a locked chest is the only time it matters. And people are like, well, the thief can do it all day. No, he can't. He can try once, and when he fails, because he has a 22% chance to open that lock, he has to wait until he gains a level to try again. Also, We're- when he goes to open that, he's got to strip naked and then try and do it so yeah. that he doesn't have a 20% penalty. Meanwhile, the failure chance on knock is none. They didn't write one in. It just uh, it just works. Yep. Whoops. So, uh, so, yeah, this is where it really started to break down for the thief. Yeah, and by the time you get to the point where you're able to, like, Make a scroll or a wand of anything. You're like make a scroll, like make yeah. a super scroll. Yeah, a super scroll. Yeah, or a, like a pybok, a power scroll. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I could go for some pybok. Oh, dude, pybok actually does sound pretty good. Mm. Wait, wait, are you saying you'd like to eat Spock's crazy half brother pybok? Yeah, that's exactly what I would like to do. Yeah, I'm glad that you were there for this journey <laughs> and you found out that that's my fetish. <laughs> What the shit? All right, uh, so there's a couple different classes in this game that can access that spell system that, that uh, with its bizarre power skews. Another one is probably my favorite class in this game from way back when is Bard. Oh, Bard. Bard's- you're, you're just a better version of the thief all around for everything. Yeah, you don't get as many of the skills, but you get the good ones. And you get the fact that you're a Bard, which lets you just know anything. And you can use any weapon, and you get cool songs, 
and you can cast spells. It's just better. Yeah. There's there's really no downside to being the bard in this. Nope, not at all. It's uh it's weird because then, you know, of course you hit third edition and bard is garbage town. Yeah, and then it comes right back up to life and becomes amazing in fourth edition and then stays that way into fifth. Yeah. As it should be. Yes. Bard should be great, but so should everybody. Yes. Anyway. But so should bards. So but especially so should but bards. But especially bards. <laughs> Uh, I want to kill everyone. Simpsons joke. Especially Lisa. But But especially Bards. bards. (laughs) All right. Uh, You want to get to our favorites and least favorites? Uh, You got any other major issues that we want to talk about in this book that were of interest to us? Well, the player's handbook doesn't have much more aside from what we've really discussed. There are a few little side rules and things like that. I mean, we didn't talk about the races hardly at all and their bonuses and stuff. No. Dwarves are legit in this book, if you don't mind being half speed. Fucking dwarves and elves are crazy good. Yeah. I mean, dwarves just straight up get spell resist at a high level. Like, they just don't get affected by spells like half the time. Yeah. Elves are immune to a ton of shit. Elves are 90% immune to sleep and charm, which are the two uh, spell categories outside of transmutation that are going to fuck you the most. Right, and if you're using the optional weapon proficiency system, then all of a sudden they become even better because they get free weapon proficiencies. Yeah. The the optional weapon proficiency system, by the way, is hilarious in that it's an optional way to hobble yourself. (laughs) Because if you don't use it, your character can just use any weapon they find all the time forever, no problem, whatever, don't worry about it. If you take the optional weapon proficiency system, then their character can use a few weapons and takes a penalty if they don't and uh if they do use their weapons they don't get a bonus or anything it's literally just saying hey would you instead of being able to use all the weapons would you like to be able to use two (laughs) that's all it does why no no i would not (laughs) would prefer to not use this optional system however i will take the optional skill system which by the way works by rolling under a stat plus or minus a modifier so if you're like i am using dexterity to use rope which is at dex minus one I have a dex of 14, which means in order to successfully use rope, I need to roll a, a, a 13 or higher if I have a 14 dex. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because the ones that get bonuses don't really... They're, they're not common. Most of them get penalties to your stat instead of bonuses. But the two that are of specific note are that land use riding horses gets a plus three over your dex mod. Good. Because everyone should be good at riding horses. Yeah. The only other one that gets a plus three to a dex mod or any mod at all is charioteering. <laughs> Which, for some reason, I, to me, that, that would suggest that charioteering is crazy easy. Because well, otherwise, why would everyone be good at it as opposed to being worse at it? No, because, you know, you're just hanging out in a chariot. Yeah, but still, that's a, that's a complicated skill. I mean, I don't feel like I could do any good charioteering. Well, good. I could do some pretty decent charioteering. I mean, okay, first of all, I feel like charioteering should cover more than just hanging out in the back of the chariot. Like, you need to know how to set it up. Get it on the horses. Get the horses on your side. Get the horses to do what you want. Nah, dude, when you're setting that up, that's just doing your barding and, and shenanigans. That's, I got people for that. That's charioteering secondary. Yeah, no. I have the bard to do that. You got a pit, a pit crew yeah. for your chariot? They come out. They set all the harnesses up. They you don't, they put that chariot on him. And you don't want a bard to do that, because all the shit that they have to do is, is non-weapon proficiencies, and bards are le- lumped in with rogues in the get-no-good uh, non-weapon proficiencies all the way through their career for some reason. Uh, Even yeah, though they'll know all about it. If you were to think, like, all right, who in this game should get the most non-weapon proficiencies and the most varied use of interesting skill sets, would you be like, well, it's probably that wizard, because wizards should get everything forever for free. Congratulations, you've been playing D&D a long time. But if you're like, no, it should probably be this jack-of-all-trades guy who is literally a skill monkey, then no, it's the opposite of that. Yay. Yeah, the fact that bards and thieves were just the worst at skills, so good. It's weird. It's so weird. Anyway, 
at least they reversed that trend eventually in, in a rare compliment to be paid to third edition. Yeah. There you go. So yeah, again, because this is a and d book, it's not like we can talk about the monsters or DM advice or anything like that, because there's none of that. It's just no. character creation, buy two more books to play the game, the end. Yep. So uh, yeah, I think that's basically all of the things I wanted to harp on about this game that people love. I know. I, I'm Granted, I'm going to go ahead and point out that I love this game and I would play it immediately. And I am also going to point out that anyone who likes this game is an idiot and should feel bad about it. <laughs> Oh, uh, you're gonna you're gonna bankrupt us with your with your <laughs> with your meanness. <clears throat> okay, here we go. Uh, favorite and least favorite things about Dungeons and Dragons. Let's start with John and your favorite thing about Second Edition Dungeons and Dragons. Favorite thing in Second Ed AD and D to me was the uh, the warrior class specifically. I feel like a lot of the time, the any of the non casters especially. You feel kind of boring? Well, like, yeah, but if you think about it, this game has two non-casters. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it has way more than that when you include all the secondary classes that can also cl- cast spells eventually. Well, I don't, because they can cast spells eventually. The only the only characters in this game that can't cast spells are fighters and thieves. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, you know, if you got to level 11 as a paladin, then I guess, great, you can cast a spell. Yeah. One one spell. Yeah, probably cure light wounds. Probably. Yeah. Oh, but we didn't. We barely talked about clerics throughout the course of this and what they were like back in second edition, where they were basically fighters with spells, as they always have been. Yeah. Right. Uh, they got a little bit better mm-hmm. because they got their domain stuff now. Yeah. The domains were super restricted in this one. There were mm-hmm. only like seven of them, but yes. whatever. Yeah. All right. So let's so, say yeah. favorite I, thing. I'm gonna say fighters. It's it's the warrior section just feels like there was a reason to be this yeah and because all of your bonuses whether it was to hit or on your saves or anything else like that came so often it felt like you were getting stuff oh yeah you had a progression that mattered you felt you could feel the progression occurring yeah when you leveled up it wasn't just well i guess i got some hit points okay great you're like oh no i see my numbers going up or down i mean granted that's That's always been true of the warrior classes, that you just see the numbers going up and down. I mean, the warrior classes always had the good fort save. Like in third edition, it had the good fort save, it had the automatic spell uh, or a base attack progression. Except in this, now you're like, oh, all of my saves are good. Yeah. And I'm good at hitting things, and I've got the best hit points. And at ninth level, I get a castle and a bunch of dudes who follow me around on horseback and a good friend whose name is Jim. You just get some fun stuff. Yeah, they piled on a lot of stuff onto the class, Mm -hmm. and I feel like second ed is when warrior felt the most distinct yeah they stripped a lot of that stuff back down in in, uh, in third edition yeah uh, i mean granted they replaced it with a your warrior is a straight up crazy you know technically proficient fighter who gets all these cool fighter moves but, but all the were, feats do is just essentially affect your numbers anyway yeah they do it's, insane. it's just a different version of progression what they got rid of was the whole name level thing where your character's like at ninth level i become a mighty lord and i can order around this band of skirmishers yep yeah, they got rid of that. And yeah, that was, you don't get to be like, oh, I rolled a 99, and now I've got like 10 cavalry following me around. Yeah, they, they got rid of that, which is a little disappointing. Yeah, so um, that was my favorite thing in this. I liked reading about the warrior, and it was one of the classes where I went, oh, I would actually like to play that. That's fun. Yeah, so let's see. Uh, you're, I'm going to say my favorite thing in this book is the bards, 
I know that they have a, a weak non-weapon proficiency, but this was the first time where bards felt like they mattered in D&D. Because in first edition, bard was like, okay, you play as a, a fighter for five levels, and then a rogue for nine levels, and then an illusionist for four levels, and the next level you take is miraculously a It sounds like... It sounds like a code. It's like, oh, it's how you play as a Jedi in Star Wars Galaxies. Yeah. Okay, it, well, if you manage to get this skill up to this level and this skill to that level, and then you go on a quest, you can become a Jedi. Then you can find clouds selling flowers in a market square and recruit him to your party. Uh, you can catch a missing no if you... That's, that's what it feels like to play a bard in first edition. In second edition, it's a really interesting class. Yeah. I mean, it's still almost impossible to play one, but yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a disappointment, but, that's, but that is true. So uh, I would say the bard is is my favorite thing in here. It's it's it, also it's fun because it's the fastest leveling spellcaster because huh. they level at twelve fifty just like the rogue does. Oh yeah, rogue levels up super quick. Yeah. So there you go. That's my favorite thing. I really like the bard class in here. What would you say is your least favorite thing about second edition D anD D? Okay, least favorite thing in this is definitely going to be the grog tone in this that ends up infecting the hobby forever yeah like still does to this day this is where it comes from the, the watermark isn't first edition first edition is nothing but a person with a th- like a weirdo with a, th- a thesaurus and his own crazy brain ideas yeah it's a bunch of odd ideas and things that sometimes work and sometimes don't yeah but it was never the so, kind of weird poisonous ideas that yeah. came from this well it's okay first edition you read it and you're like man this guy was crazy and then second edition, you read it, and it's not written by the same guy. Instead, it's people who read what the first guy wrote and were like, well, yeah, duh. That's, that's <laughs> of course crazy nonsense. Always crazy nonsense. Why would you try to do something different? Yeah, so the entire tone of this, I mean, we mentioned in the rolling up your character and in all of the various ways in which you do things in the sidebars, the mother may I tone for mm-hmm. anything that you want to do to make your character what you want it to be. Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pile on to this with my least favorite as well. Okay, my least favorite is the random fuck yous to players that are in this book at, at, at occasional moments. Uh huh. Like say for example, if you want to take a secondary skill for your character, like this is this is what my character was growing up. You can roll on this table to see if your character was a fisherman or a mountaineer or a fisher of men or uh <laughs> yeah or a uh, a Steve <laughs> yeah. Anything like that. But then there's just a chance, about a 20% chance, that your character is nothing. Your character didn't do shit before this. Fuck you, you get nothing. Oh, yeah, no. Before this, you were just a shiftless layabout. Yeah. Which, I mean, if I became an adventurer, that's exactly what I would be. (laughs) Well, I would at least have a little bit of cooking skill, but I guess, yeah, you could just be nothing. Yeah, I would just have nothing. But it's not like you, it's like nothing, but, you know, instead you're good at begging or you're good at uh, at whatever. It's not. It's like, no, you just grew up a dump and and you're a worthless dump. Yeah. The only reason you're adventuring right now is your asshole dad kicked you off the couch and told you to go get a job. Yeah. And there's moments like that throughout the book where it's just like, all right, something good's about to happen. It doesn't. (laughs) <laughs> why not dice okay what do i get instead nothing okay yeah the, the same thing with the, like the fighter table or, or uh the reincarnation spell if a druid casts it on you and you're like hey your character turns into a raccoon the end you can't play a raccoon of course not the well, end yeah it's like what happens well your raccoon remembers all of its old life and what it used to be but it has no class and it's just a raccoon and you're like okay great great well that was worth it yeah where <laughs> it's weird that the cleric version is so much worse than the wizard version, because the wizard version of uh, Resurrection just turns you into some random humanoid. So you'd yeah. be like, oh, now I'm a cool orc. Yeah, I'm an ogre mage. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, boy. 
But no, it's like, no, your, your character turned into a badger. You're done. You're done playing. You got to start a new character. Bye. It's a good thing we had that resurrection spell. At that point, we're like, no, fuck it. Kill me again and let's try this. Let's yeah, keep, just keep killing me and resi. Let's, and let's do this until till we get happens. centaur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, uh, that's, that was part of the, the groggy tone that also big in rifts when we were reviewing that mm-hmm. is the idea of you can't choose something. Yeah, you have to roll a table. Yeah, all of these random tables that were so huge in the 90s of just, no, you don't get to decide what your character is. That would be anarchy. That well, it wouldn't be anarchy. It'd be bad role-playing is <laughs> yeah. the thing. Is so, it- there's all these little examples of like, oh, Jim rolled up a character and he has a five in a stat and a six in another one, but he knows that he can play his character as all of these different things. And you're like, stop it. Stop trying to make it seem like rolling poorly and being a bad character is going to somehow make RP happen. Yeah. If I'm a good person that can RP well, I'm going to do that regardless of whether my character is good or bad. And if I'm bad at RP, now I'm just bad at RP and have a shit character. Yeah, it doesn't magic. It's not a fucking Horatio Alger story every time. Yeah. If you roll a shit character and you're not all that good at role-playing, you're just going to be unhappy. Yep. That's the only thing it'll do. And th- and I know right away that there's already going to be about four grog comments coming in on our comment feed. Like, no, that's not how it works. It forces you to be good at the game if you if you have low stats. No, it, it doesn't. It forces you to have a, a, a boring time. It, it forces other people to make sure you don't suck. Yeah, I, I don't understand that. But So that's very good. It, together, I think we've established what our least favorite thing about this book is. Yeah, the uh, fact that it has influenced the hobby as heavily as it has. Yeah, that's true. So would you play 2nd Edition D&D? I mean, yeah, I'd still probably play 2nd Ed D&D. I mean, right? I know about it. It's one of those games you have memorized. You could probably play it in a van, you know, like just going somewhere. Oh, yeah. You'd be like, all right, we're taking a road trip, and you'd just be sitting in the back going, all right, everybody, get your character out. Yeah. I remember everything about this game. I have the ta- the uh, Thaco table tattooed on me somewhere. This isn't <laughs> going to be a problem. Well, that's why I would just play a warrior so that I didn't have to memorize shit because they just go down one every level. Yeah, well, the rest of them are super easy to remember. The, war- the wizard goes down one every three levels. The priest goes down two every three levels, and the war- the rogue goes down one every two levels. It's it's not that hard to remember, but it, but uh, once you have it in your brain, it's stuck there. Yeah. The the one that it's never saving stuck in table. my head was the saving throws. Yeah, that, which, that thing's unrememberable. It's still, man, it still pisses me off that the uh, the thieves are so bad. Yeah. Because everyone has one that they're amazing at. Mm-hmm. So priests are amazing at saving against death spells. Okay. Yeah. yeah. The warriors are super amazing at saving against breath weapon. All right, sure, it's the whole knight against a dragon thing. I get it. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, of course, wizards are amazing against just save versus spells generically and the staves and wands. Yeah. All right. You're a wizard. You know how to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And then thieves are bad at everything. Yep. There's one more category and you're like, oh, petrification. Polymorph. Sure. Poly- yeah. Yeah. Rogues have a more stable idea of what they are. Nope. Or, or they're very good at dodging the beam that turns them to stone or, or like Perseus, they know that when the, the, the eyes they're of the tricky. Gorgon, they're tricky. So it's hard to catch them with that. Nope, they're just bad at it nope, instead. they're just bad at everything. Yeah. Everyone had one category they were good at, two if you were a wizard, and then zero if you were a thief. Yeah, that's just disappointing. But again, I would probably also play this game for the same reason. It's easy and it's nostalgic. I would. I, it's for the same reason I would keep playing World of Warcraft, because I don't have to think. No, it's the same reason I would play Rifts. Yeah, it's a garbage system, but I don't care. I have all of these rose-colored glasses I can put on. Yeah, and I've memorized it all and internalized it already. That's pretty much what keeps this game going. Yeah, I have enough system mastery for this game that it doesn't matter if it's garbage. Man, it sounds like we, people could just look forward to this being our answer for Would You Play Pathfinder? <laughs> 
is, uh, I don't know, why would I? Yeah, it's but I have all these memories tied up in it. I'm very invested in thinking it's amazing. Oh. I'm not especially invested in keeping thinking second edition is great. I'm just invested in thinking it's playable and easy. Oh, yeah, it's just easy to start playing for someone who has played a ton of it. I will grant that it had some amazing monster manuals. Reviewing the player's handbook is boring as shit, but reviewing, like, say, for example, the monster manual or the complete book of bards... Oh, yeah. Reviewing the the compendium of stuff that you had to put into a little binder. Yeah. One of the things that could be sold, sold for second edition, like if you're trying to sell it as a game to people, is it had some of the best and most famous supplementary materials ever. Like, you name an awesome thing from D&D history, it's a second edition thing. Dark Sun, Spelljammer, Planescape, uh, the that amazing complete book of series... All, all sorts of really, really cool stuff came out during second edition and really kind of shaped what the hobby would be. The Encyclopedia Magica with yeah. all of its dumb pun things. And it, oh, yeah, that one. The one was like, the oh, you can play as like a... Or you can't play as shit in that. It's like no, you it's guys just, find a soda machine. It's a gnome in it. Yeah, it's the Staff of Striking, and when you use it, then a little sign pops up and it says, DM's unfair to PCs. Yeah. There's a, there's a box with three goblins inside. If you put your shirt in there, they wash it. Yeah, you That's get the ring of spell turning, and when you use it, it goes T-U-R-N-I-N-G, turning. Ugh. That's horrifying. Yeah, there's some bad books, too. I mean, granted, there's also like that, the book about how to hunt Strahd or so <laughs> on. There, there was a lot of bloat in this time period of, of uh, books coming out, but there are some gems. And this this uh, line, second edition, eventually sowed the seeds for good shit about D&D. You had books that came out later on in the game that gave a lot of that, or took a lot of that random nonsense and stripped it and turned it into a game where you could build your own character. That was what Skills and Powers was, for example, which is universally reviled because people didn't like that it took away the, oh, you rolled randomly and your character's a raccoon with a three charisma kind of goofiness. Yeah. So there you go. There you go. There's, there's arguments to play it. There was some amazing stuff that came from it. It's important historically. It's kind of boring. That's, that about sums her up. That should do. That'll do it. We'll see you in 25 episodes for the third edition one, which is, I'm sure, the one everyone cares about. Oh, man. That's... I cannot wait for next year. <laughs> so that'll be fun. <laughs> I can't wait for all of the hate mail. Oh, boy. Bring it. I mean, there's obviously a ton of people that still love Second Ed, so I can't wait for that, too. I know. Well, granted, we, we did discuss the rose-colored glasses on this one a lot. This is not a terrible game. Uh, I don't know if 3rd edition will be either. You'll have to wait a year to find out, and then another year to hear us rip into 4th edition, which should be really fun. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to rip into 4th, because normally we just praise it all the time. There's a lot of shit wrong with it. There really is. I can't wait to tell everyone what they should be saying about 4th edition instead of it's a WoW MMO for babies. Uh, yeah, the, the, the real shit that's actually wrong with it. It's coming. We'll get there eventually. Don't worry. You'll get your talking points out of us. Yep. So, uh, as always, thank you so much for listening to System Mastery. This has been a wonderful 75th episode. Uh, as always, you can find us at SystemMasteryPodcast.com. You can support us at Patreon sash slash System Mastery. Yeah, I got a System Mastery sash. I'm <laughs> in the System Mastery pageant. <laughs> you know the secret handshake? Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, Patreon slash System Mastery. You can support us there. We have all our episodes there for download. If you are supporting us at any level, you also get our bonus content where we make characters in the game we just reviewed. Are you uh, excited to hear our second ed <laughs> AD&D characters? I was going to say, I'm sure you guys are super excited right now to hear about some first level second edition D&D characters, rarest of the rare. Oh my God, let me tell you about my half-elf bard. Oh, it's going to be crazy. And what rule will we use to determine what dice we should use to roll? I think we'll probably do the roll a d6 to determine which one of the six methods. Yeah, you got to roll randomly to determine how you roll randomly. Yeah, I can't wait for that. 
So, uh, as always, you can find our Patreon. We'll find a way to make it entertaining. Don't you worry. Don't you worry your pretty <laughs> Don't little you heads. Don't you <laughs> You sweet summer children. <laughs> Bonus content's always great. This is garbage. You're listening to the free stuff, and it's terrible. The <laughs> wish- good stuff is under the paywall. I we wish- start talking about Danganronpa in there. <laughs> oh, it's a something awful joke. <laughs> All right, so there you have it. Uh, you can also find us at our various social media outlets to get more of our content or uh, interact with us directly. We're very gregarious. We love talking to you. You can find us that way as, as System Mastery on Reddit, Facebook, or Twitter. Find us on any of those. Say whatever you want to us. Send us your recommendations, your afterthought questions, your uh, whatever you want. Yell at us about how we're wrong about Second Edition. I cannot wait. And until then, thank you so much for listening, and have a good week. Have a good week.